Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murders of two children. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. Anyone charged is considered innocent until proven guilty by the American justice system. Everything discussed, unless released by law enforcement, should be considered speculation. We are recording this on February 13th, 2023, um, and it is 1.48 p.m., so we are literally six years to the day and almost to the time where Abby and Libby um, were dropped off to go for their walk. I I struggled with how to start this um, story and kind of where to take it because there have been so many twists and turns and so much speculation. Law enforcement really hasn't released a whole lot of information. Um, So what I decided to do is just go back to the beginning um, because I think a lot of listeners will be familiar with the case. Um, So I'm not going to go into the histories of Abby and Libby um, but just just know that they're 13 and 14 years old, and they had good upbringings, good families, good parents. They went to school. They thrived. Um, they were good kids all around. So at 1.35 p.m. on February 13, 2017, 13-year-old Abigail Joyce Williams, or Abby, and 14-year-old Liberty Rose Lynn German, or Libby, were dropped off by Libby's older sister, Kelsey German, on Country Road 300 North, east of the Hoosier-Heartland Highway. The girls were going on a hike on the Monon High Bridge Trail over Deer Creek in the town of Delphi. So at 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a photo of Abby walking on the bridge, but after this, they were not heard from again. They were reported missing at 5.30 p.m. after they failed to meet up with Libby's dad, Derek, at 3.15 as they'd previously arranged. After Derek tried to call them and text them when he was there, um, he wasn't able to get a hold of them, and their phone actually started going straight to voicemail, so he actually walked the trail looking for them. He ran into some people. He asked if they had seen two girls. He did meet somebody that said that they saw two girls on the 500 trail, which was just off of the trail that the girls actually used. So he actually veered off and went on this second trail. He wasn't able to find them either. So he actually ended up calling his mom, Becky, who is Libby's grandma. And from there, Libby's grandma and her aunt came down to the trail and started helping Derek look. And closer to 530, um, they still couldn't find the girls. By this time, Libby's grandpa and Becky's husband, Mike, had arrived to help them search. So Becky was very nervous because Libby is afraid of the dark. Um, So she knew there had to be something wrong with darkness coming soon. It was February, even though it was a nice mild day, the sun was going to be going down. It was going to be getting colder. Um, So Becky thought best to call the police to help them search. Authorities who searched the area did not initially suspect foul play. Um, And hundreds of people showed up and took part in the search, which actually lasted until the early morning hours. Law enforcement called off the official search late on the 13th due to the risks to the searchers, but many civilians and volunteers stayed through the night. The search resumed early the following morning, but sadly, the girls' bodies were found a few minutes after noon 
um, about half a mile east of the Mona and High Bridge on the 14th. Did they announce right away that they were they were found dead, but also that they suspected that they were murdered? Like when they first came out with it, like they weren't able to find them, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm wondering is if they actually released that it was obviously a murder right away. They... When they first found the girls' bodies, obviously we didn't have access to the police scanner or the helicopter um, radio traffic or anything like that. So real-time thinking about the information that was coming out at that time, we all heard that they had found two bodies in the area. They didn't release if they were male or female. They didn't say if they were children. They didn't say how they died, nothing like that. They just released that two bodies had been found. That the search was being scaled back um, during a news conference. They they wouldn't release any information other than it was suspicious death. Oh, so no. okay. it was later the next afternoon where they were actually identified um, through the autopsy yeah. um, that it was Libby and Abby. And just to clarify, the first reports came out that the bodies were found on the banks of Deer Creek. Their bodies were actually located about 50 feet into the bush off of the creek. So they weren't found in the creek. They were found in the woods about 50 feet, very close to the creek, but 50 feet from, from almost, the creek bed. Not quite like a marsh, but almost kind of right. Like they were area. They were in the treed area that mm-hmm. was around. Um, so at 2.07, Libby posted a photo of Abby walking on the bridge. Um, She posted that to Snapchat, and when you post things to Snapchat, they stay on for about 24 hours, I think, and then they're just automatically deleted. Yeah. 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 So later in the day, obviously, when they couldn't be found, a couple of her friends actually went on there and took screenshots of this, and that's how we have it now. Um, Just their friends took screenshots of Libby's last post type thing to kind of probably try and help the family. But um, that's how we know there's an actual timestamp on that post, 2.07 p.m. It was a picture of Abby walking across the bridge. Um, Libby was probably, you know, 10 feet in front of her, further down the bridge, just looking back and taking a picture of Abby, who looked to be a little bit nervous in the picture. The picture itself shows the entire length of the bridge Mm -hmm. behind, like, the from where they had just come from. Yeah. And web sleuths and YouTubers, they have picked that picture apart. Almost to the point where like some things out there, I'm like, that's edited. You've you've turned things up and changed. Saturation levels and stuff like that. Yeah. But doing that can add and distort things as well. It doesn't always make things more clear. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um a couple of the more reputable, in my opinion, um, YouTubers. That's a stretch, but I'm saying there are some that put a lot of work into this case and were very dedicated. Um, one in particular used the video and the picture of Libby, and they were able to almost pinpoint where the picture was taken from, mm-hmm. where Abby was standing. And that's not far-fetched. I would not believe at all. that. You know that the police did the exact it's same totally thing. It's totally doable. But looking from the direction that they just came from, I can't even say it's not clear if there's anyone there. There is no one there. 
mm-hmm. walking across that bridge at that time at 2.07, you cannot see anybody coming up on them on that bridge for the entire length of it. Yeah. So, but having said that, when we get into the timing of all this stuff, by 2.13, the video that Libby took was coming to an end. That is a very short amount of time to make your way across that bridge unless you're extremely comfortable with heights and you've been on that dilapidated bridge before. So are you saying that the girls made it across really quickly? No, I don't think so. Um, Just the timeline. So they're dropped off at 135, between 135 and 140. And by 2.07, they're about a quarter, maybe a little bit more of the way across the bridge. That took them half an hour. So they're taking their time. They're chilling. Many, many people over the last six years have crossed that bridge, have timed themselves, um, going quickly, going at like a normal speed, being nervous. Somebody that was very comfortable with it did it. And the average time was between six and 10 minutes, just with the goal of getting across the bridge. So if your goal is more to take pictures and have a good day. This from the place that they were dropped off took them about half an hour to get to where that picture of Abby was taken. Not the video of Bridge Guy, but the picture of Abby. And that I'd say that is pretty normal here. Mm -hmm. We do have something similar um, near town. That is the, it reminds me so much of that bridge, but maybe a little bit more jankier, actually. <laughs> That's really good to know. I had no idea that I that went to it once. Here. Yeah, I went to it once because like just a random group of friends took me there. Did your mother know? No, no, but no, you didn't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but some of them were going like to the middle of this thing and there were boards missing everywhere and I made it to like maybe the third board to just make it look like like I turned around so the sky was behind me and it made it look like a but I would not go further down it it was so crazy and some of them were like running across it but definitely my version of it would be to like just like maybe take it slow Mm -hmm. make sure that each board is safe (laughs) yeah there'd be no like no way i I'm afraid of heights, so... That's... I had that gut feeling. Like, I was yeah. like, oh my God, I'm going to fall. Just, it creeps me out even just to look at pictures of this bridge. Um, it's gone now, right? They have the memorial area, the benches. The bridge is still there. Now they have blocked off, sorry, with the, the boards. The, they almost have, like... They almost have, like, what looks like a deck with boards. Right. So up until, I believe, so they have these, um, I can't remember off the top of my head what they're called, but they're almost like observation areas where there's just a few, a few boards on either side and it's every so many dozen feet or whatever. They're not benches, but they're just a place you can step off. I assume back in the 1800s when the bridge was built, they needed a spot to fix ties and stuff like this. So, so after the first platform, they put up the gate. And they put benches there, um, and they're they're saying that it's a more of a place to go and pray and reflect and remember the girls and you know just more peaceful place memorial um, kind of the beginning of the beginning of yeah. the works of a memorial. But kids, from my understanding, are still climbing that gate and they're still proceeding because the rest of the bridge remains. The oh, same as it was. And I, yeah, and people have been nasty about this thing, but I fully disagree with everybody who's like, I think this is ugly. This is stupid. Who made this? Like, the things that they're saying Why is, haven't they taken it down? All of that. Well, now it's just more dangerous for kids to get on it. 
And I'm like, okay, to a certain point, they can they can put these barricades up, they can make it start looking nicer and stuff. But I think people tend to forget that you are responsible for your child. Mm-hmm. Oh, my child climbed over it. Well, then why don't you figure that out with yeah. your you and take it up is, with your kid? Come on, that mm-hmm. is not their responsibility to a certain point, like making sure that like there's no dangerous places. But do you know how many cliffs there are? Do you know how many mountains there are? Like at a certain point, you need to take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And how are those kids getting there half the time? And they honestly, being dropped off. That's right. And over the years, certain people, like I know some people that have actually gone down there because. I mean, we all watch videos and we see pictures and even helicopter footage, drone footage, but it really doesn't do it justice, mm-hmm. especially when you get down to the crime scene. Um, it looks when you're watching videos and stuff and you're seeing pictures, it looks like it's sloped and it looks a little bit treacherous. But now that I know somebody that was there, it's not just a little slopey and treacherous. You're down there and you feel like you're in a bowl unless you're there to see it. I guess apparently you can't appreciate how isolating it is out there. Mm-hmm. So if you're a parent that is okay with dropping your kids off, and I'm not disparaging any parent for doing it no. at all, especially in a small town like Delphi. Um, but when something like this happens, it's time to start readjusting and thinking twice. And reevaluating and maybe teaching our kids more. Like I, Libby and Abby did nothing wrong that day. Nope. Nothing, nothing wrong at all. Yeah. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. When it comes down to it, it's it's the piece of shit who did that, who did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think the final note on that is just, it's not that we're saying shame on anybody for like dropping their kids off or anything like that. Darn but it. the reason why we have, one of the reasons why we have this podcast is to say, let's think about the possibilities when making these decisions because i know i every time i learn about a new case i'm gonna start thinking twice about certain things and how i'm doing it Mm -hmm. and i think everybody should do that for For sure you don't want to live in fear no but you can prepare teach your kids to live in fear um but you can still be prepared and and teach your kids to be prepared and i i still to this day do not think there's anything that Abby or Libby could have done differently that day so that's yeah. not what i'm saying whatsoever no. but in order to raise kids who aren't stuck to a screen all the time you have to let them out and all they wanted to do was go hiking and take some pictures i think sometimes it's easy to remember that like when they're going to do stuff like that though maybe they should be escorted with more people like that's how i would take that after such a tragedy happened mm-hmm. it's like okay bigger after. groups. yeah after exactly yeah. you don't ever expect that to happen afterwards now i'm like okay if i ever let my kid do that it's big group of people and if i'm off if i have time because i know that their parents worked Mm -hmm. so much if i had time it's like okay i'll take you if i didn't have time can you guys wait Mm -hmm. until my day off and i'll take you like just those little things once a tragedy happens it's like okay that's Mm -hmm. what we can do just readjust and reevaluate how you do certain things and what you allow and what you don't and unfortunately it's just safer or it should be safer to but that's another aspect of this case. You'd think it would be safer to let your kids stay home and, you know, play games or whatever. But that's even worse, in my opinion, because you don't know who's on the other side of that. Oh, my God. Internet and it all the time. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think another important thing to know is just like not that much crime and stuff. Like not that 
level of tragedy happens here very often. Mm -mm. Whereas I do believe you see it in America a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, um, it's almost more dangerous in a way. Like when I think about all this stuff, I think about what I would be doing if I was in America. I actually don't think that I would do half of the things that I've listed here because that's, and one day it could happen. But I tell myself that that stuff doesn't really happen here. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. And that stuff didn't really happen in Delphi. And then it happened. That's right. So that's me fully recognizing that I also would think the exact same way as their parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they ended up being reported missing at 5.30 p.m. after they failed to meet up with Libby's dad, who had agreed to pick them up at 3.15 p.m. Um, when he arrived um, at the trails, he called Libby. He texted Libby. Um, he got no response. Um, and I think at one point her phone started going to directly to voicemail. Um, he got really worried and ended up calling Becky, who was his mother and Libby's grandmother. Okay, so the family came out to the bridge at around 4.30 p.m. to help Derek look for the girls. Um, uh, they couldn't locate them. And by 5.30, Becky told her husband, Mike, that she wanted to report it to the police, report them missing because her biggest fear was that Libby was scared of the dark. And so mm -hmm. if they weren't answering their phone and weren't uh, answering um, text messages, then there was something wrong. Um, they didn't think how wrong. They thought yeah. maybe they were lost or maybe one of them got injured. Hurt. Yeah. Um, maybe their phone died or dropped in the water or something. They didn't know, but they knew they needed help looking to find them before it got dark. So they called the police at 5.30 p.m. Authorities who quickly searched the area did not initially suspect foul play in the disappearance. However, this changed when the bodies of the girls were found around noon the next day, February 14th, about half a mile east of the Monon High Bridge. The bodies were found on the north bank of Deer Creek. Deer Creek. It's so creepy because we live in Fox Creek. Hmm. Creek, there's Delphi, so many parallels it, i know it just reminds me of this area so much under three thousand people yeah. hunters um small businesses the way people dress mm -hmm. all of it all yeah. of it um so police did not release any details of how the girls were murdered as early as february 15th the indiana state police began circulating a still image of an individual reportedly seen on the bridge near where the girls were found. The picture appeared to capture a white male, hands in his pockets, head down, walking on the bridge towards the girls. A few days later, the person in the photograph was named the prime suspect in the murders. Even though we didn't know, none of the public or the media knew where they got the picture from, so there was rumors going around that maybe a trail cam had um, captured him, or, you know, I don't remember hearing a rumor that oh no that was that was Libby that was Libby's phone I don't remember hearing that it was all about there's a trail camera that was somebody on the trail I think Snapchat was related to the photos that Libby took herself yeah it wasn't just the picture of Abby she took pictures of the bridge too and uploaded them to Snapchat that day so on February 22nd law enforcement released an audio recording where the voice of the suspect, although a little bit muffled, is heard to say down the hill. Um, so let's play that clip now. Down the hill. Down the hill. Down the hill. Now, down the hill. Do, you do you think that the video is longer? Do you think that there is a version out there that's longer that has anything 
else of significant meaning? It is known mm-hmm. that that video is longer. It's 43 seconds long. Yeah. Do, do you think there's anything of significance in it? Do you, or like, do you think that they are keeping the real significant stuff to themselves for like trial purposes, case purposes? Um, yes and no. Um, it is known now that one of the girls acknowledged that he had a gun. So I think that they didn't play that um, because they had found that bullet. And mm. that was the key, hopefully not, but that was the key evidence that they were holding back because then only the person responsible would know that there was a gun there. So that's why they didn't play that portion of the video. Um, How, so, and where was this released? Like, where was this? The audio's never been released. Where's this confirmation coming that the girls acknowledge? The probable cause affidavit. Oh, okay. That the girls, so it just says that the girls acknowledge that he had a gun in the video? Mm-hmm. I, I have the probable cause affidavit. I'm not sure if it specifies which girl, but okay. one of the victims, I think it says, mentions the word gun. So. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And we know that. The guys down the hill order was at the end of the video clip. Okay. And according to the Indiana State Police, um, the the clip of the man walking is the clearest, best portion of yeah. the video of that. I fully believe that because obviously uh, she put it in her pocket. She tried mm-hmm. to hide it, but she kept the video running for the audio mm-hmm. part of it. Um, Libby's granddad, Mike, thinks that she innocently started videotaping this guy so that she could go home and say, hey, Papa, look at the crazy guy. Look at this creepy dude that was following us, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was her initial intent. But then when things got a little scary she put the phone in her pocket and kept it recording i fully believe that yeah that's totally plausible Mm -hmm. so obviously that voice is not recognizable Uh, it it is kind of muffled and you can actually hear the leaves and stuff crunching underneath so they are like actively moving across the dried leaves and stuff that were on the ground at the time and gravel um, so it's really hard to hear nuances in his voice. I do think that somebody who knows him would be able to put the grainy photo and the clip together and think that's this person. Like if that was a person I knew and I heard it with it, I would be able to say, holy crap, that's John Smith. Like that's Joe Blow. So let's get into it. <laughs> Well, I'm not getting into him just yet. (laughs) I'm just, my stomach turns when I think of all the information that we now know Mm -hmm. and what he and his family had to have known for the past six years. It enrages me. Yeah. So let's continue on. Um, So they released the video of the guy walking. Um, They released the audio down the hill. At a news conference on February 22nd, at this news conference, officials credited the source of the audio and image to Libby's iPhone and further said that she's a hero 
for having the presence of mind and bravery to secretly record the interaction. Police indicated that additional evidence from the phone had been secured but would not release any further details so as to not compromise any future trial. By this time, the reward offered in the case was set at $41,000. On July 17th, police distributed a sketch of someone who at the time in the investigation was being sought as a person of interest in the murders. It had apparently been drawn by police from eyewitnesses to a certain hiker on the trails that day. Uh, The sketch became known as Old Bridge Guy. On April 22, 2019, the Indiana State Police announced a new direction in the case and released a new sketch of the suspect, which became known as Young Bridge Guy. Police urged the public to study the new sketch, listen to the audio, and watch how the man walked on the bridge, and to send tips to the tip line email. Investigators stated that they had reason to believe that the suspect might well be hiding in plain sight, and the person was almost certainly familiar with the area of Delphi, whether it be from living or working there or for another reason. An additional plea was made for help in identifying the driver of a vehicle that was supposedly left abandoned on the Hoosier Heartland Highway in Delphi. So that is basically all that we know for sure. Yeah. Up until recently. Now let's speculate. Well, it's all (laughs) speculation. So why don't we talk about suspects here? Because there have been a few, so many. nothing is, there have been many, but none that police have actually said he is a good suspect or he's a person of interest. They don't, they don't use that normal law enforcement language in this case. Um. So, okay. On June 27th, 2019, Paul Etter killed himself while surrounded by police during a standoff in Boone County. Etter was pulled over by a Lebanon police officer who noticed the truck he was driving had been reported stolen earlier that day. Etter was suspected in the abduction and sexual assault of a 26-year-old woman a few days earlier. That's how he became under investigation for his possible connection to the deaths of Abby and Libby. So Tobe Lesenby, the sheriff of Carroll County, said that his name came up through the process. And was he the sheriff at the time, or is he still the sheriff? I thought he was running for office or something. No, so he's still in the sheriff's office, but recently he had to, like his term was up, so they had an election and they've, um, they've, they have a new sheriff now, but uh, Tobe is still, he still works as an officer in the sheriff's department. Okay. So as with every aspect of this investigation, Etter was covered and no longer considered a person of interest, though the police have not said how they cleared him. Maybe maybe they used the bullet and they were able to count him out that way. Maybe they do have some kind of DNA that they have that they're not really talking about. All right. So Daniel Nations. He was arrested on September 25th, 2017 after Colorado police um, say the car he and his wife were driving and matched one belonging to a man who was threatening several hikers with a hatchet. Um, so this happened near the same trail where a man was murdered two weeks before. Um, Daniel Nations is not charged with that murder, but his appearance led him to be tipped in to investigators working in the Delphi case. Indiana State Police Sergeant Kim Riley said that they were made aware of Nations' arrest by a sheriff's department in Colorado, and they immediately started exchanging notes. So in true form, Daniel was covered and no longer a person of interest in the Delphi case. Notice that they never say that anyone has been cleared. 
It's all, we've covered him and he's no longer interesting to us. Oh, James Brian Chadwell. Ugh. This was my person of interest immediately when it came to light what he had done. He strongly resembled the sketch and his voice seemed similar to the voice captured on Libby's phone. James Chadwell. Was a piece of shit. Sorry. Uh, beyond. Um, so James Chadwell charged, tried, and convicted of luring his nine-year-old neighbor into his Lafayette home on April 19th, 2021 to pet his dogs. After the girl was reported missing, police say they found her in Chadwell's basement with her clothes off, chained and beaten with strangulation marks around her neck. He was sentenced to over 90 years in prison. And again, police have not been able to connect him to the Delphi murders. Did that little girl survive? She did. Okay, so these were the men who were identified, investigated, and quote-unquote covered. Were those... That's not the only men. No, no, but they were the most, um, I guess, publicized. What about the one dude? Because, like, in the groups and stuff, they really... Still to this day. So I think we're going to get into him right now. Yeah. Right now? Okay. And... Honestly, I went back and forth with even including him because when I see posts about him um, still being their bridge guy or their suspect, it actually annoys the shit out of you. It really, 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 really does. Um, So let's get into it, I guess. Uh, Originally, I wasn't going to talk about Ron Logan. We we can't cut him out, though. We got to. We got it because it's it's Mm -hmm. what a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, before like more people came out and stuff, when it was fresh and new, I was like, "Oh, maybe." So it is only natural that people thought maybe it was him. I don't think he was involved, but I don't think I'd be telling the whole story without explaining who he is and why some still think he's a good suspect for Abby and Libby's murder. The area of the woods where Abby and Libby were found was owned by ron logan they were found about 1400 feet from ron logan's front door and i'm not sure how much land ron owned but it's not an easy 1400 feet to travel the location of the scene is in a deep valley the terrain is rough and not easily traveled having said that the sheriff fbi and isp uh, began investigating logan because of the obvious the FBI filed a search warrant affidavit that was released last year by the Murder Sheet podcast. In the search warrant, it was stated that Ron's appearance is not inconsistent with that of the man on the bridge. They also said his voice is similar. Ron Logan was 77 at that time, with white hair and a bushy white mustache. I personally do not see the similarities. He's also over six feet tall. But early descriptions of Bridge Guy said that he was believed to be between five foot four and five foot six. Now, the only thing that stood out to me and probably everyone else uh, when it came to light that he had lied about his whereabouts during the time of the murders. Ron had asked his cousin to lie for him, basically asking the cousin to say he was with Ron between two and five p.m. on February thirteenth, taking him to an aquarium store in nearby Lafayette. Why would he ask someone to lie and to create a fake alibi? And if this fake alibi request was apparently made before the girls' bodies were even found on his property, 
leading people to wonder if he knew they were there. This is very suspicious. According to police, Ron had a lengthy record with domestic issues, DUI, and things like that. In fact, he was on parole at the time of the murders, and his license had been suspended due to yet another DUI. His real alibi is that he drove himself to the aquarium and then stopped at a pub and drank beer before driving home, further violating his parole as he was not supposed to be drinking either. Obviously, he did not want to get caught doing these things, as it would land him in jail, which it did. He was charged and spent time in jail for these parole violations. Also, in the search warrant affidavit, the FBI agent said that the crime scene was very bloody and some of the girls' clothes was missing, and it would be highly likely that the perpetrator got the girls' blood on him. The affidavit also said that the girls' bodies were moved and staged, possibly for the offender to take pictures, video, or some other mementos with him. The search warrant affidavit made it clear that police expected to find blood, souvenir, pictures, or other evidence with the offender, but nothing was found during that search warrant. He died in 2021 from COVID complications. The Indiana State Police have said that they do not consider Ron Logan a suspect. But with how long that snippet went, we can fully understand why he was sus AF. <laughs> totally. And I am, I am including the affidavit in this episode. I'm not trying to glaze over anything or the one point that was made in that affidavit was that they fully expect for blood or other evidence to be found with the perpetrator. And at that time, this was only a little over a month after the murders. Okay, so they found nothing. And that speaks volumes, not to mention the fact that bridge guy, even though the picture is grainy and this and that, his voice doesn't match. Bridge Guy's voice is not that of a 77-year-old man. Ron Logan talked to the media many times, mm -hmm. many times, many times yeah. and his voice does not match. It just doesn't. And he's 77, totally. But Those he owns the... the property. He owns the property, and he'd be used to moving around his own property. So that's not a question to me. He actually took reporters down into the crime scene area, um, just up to the caution tape. But he was able to make it down there. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that he's too old, listen that. But he does not match Bridge Guy. He's too tall. That if Bridge Guy, if that video or photo was Ron Logan, I think that we would see that white in his hair. We would see that white in his mustache, and it's just not there to be seen. Going off of what you're saying, is it not true that you do not believe that if Rick Allen, allegedly, is bridge guy. You believe that it was not just him. Correct. But you would still cut out the old guy who owns the property, has access to the property, the location, and everything else. I would strictly due to the fact that mm -hmm. the police did not find a shred of evidence. And nobody has seen actual crime scene photos. We do not know how the girls died or what kind of weapon was used, believed that they died from sharp force trauma, which is also in the Affidavit. search warrant. No, oh, search warrant. Ron Logan's search warrant. So, and they actually say in that search warrant affidavit that there was a lot of blood at the crime scene. So you tell me how somebody can do what he did to those poor little girls and then walk up to his house and completely get rid of 
every trace of evidence. I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I'm just asking questions. This is why I... I'm this is why I'm so firmly in not believing Ron Logan has anything to do with it. Now, I think if police cleared him, it, yeah. it, that is typically enough for me. Yeah. I'm one of those people who like will definitely listen more to what the police are saying. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to clear somebody, I'm like, they have their reasons to clear them. Mm-hmm. And that's why they cleared him. They couldn't find any evidence connecting him other than his um the alibi that he had um he lied, lied about his a- alibi. So which is totally sketchy, but I understand not wanting to go back to jail at his age. I mean, he's a criminal, for would, sure. Would I involve a family member? Of course not. No. I don't know. But then again, so, you know, we're going to move on to other suspects, mm-hmm. such as the Kleins. And, you know, coincidence does sometimes really matter, especially when it's all speculation. All of it is speculation and alleged. <laughs> Which is why I'm trying my best to stick to facts. Um Okay, so let's move on to Kagan Klein. So in December of 2021, the Indiana State Police announced the discovery of a fake social media account, which had been uncovered during the course of the investigation into the Delphi murders, and alleged that the account belonged to a 27-year-old man from Peru, Indiana, who was being held in custody for alleged sex crimes against children. He was not named by police as a person of interest in the investigation, However, information about this man and his criminal activity was the focus for anyone covering or following Abby and Libby's murders, including me. Yes, folks, we are talking about Kagan Klein. I don't want to get too distracted with Kagan's life and crimes, but I think it's important to talk about how his case is connected to our girls and maybe talk about why I don't think he's been cleared of any involvement yet. So I'm not going to go as deeply into Kagan on this chapter as I first intended. The fact is that his crimes are heinous. This guy is disgusting. But there's a lot of information to be able to tell everyone the whole story. So I've added the Kagan Klein case to my list of stories to tell. Um, This is how he's connected to the Delphi murders, but I'm not detailing the crimes he is currently awaiting trial for. Um, But here's what connects him to Libby. And Abby. Which is a lot in in a sense. It like is. what it would be considered the craziest coincidences of ever. Of ever. Of ever. Of ever. Ever, ever. Um, so as it relates to Kay and Klein, here's a quick timeline. On February 13th, Abby and Libby are murdered in Delphi. On February 20th, a girl gets off her school bus and sees a masked man peering into her bedroom window. This girl had been chatting with Anthony Schatz. In fact, the night before had sent Anthony Schatz her address as they planned to meet up in the coming days. And just to clarify, Anthony Schatz is a profile on Instagram. And Kick and yeah. yeah. Which Kick probably was like just how he continued messaging them off of Instagram. But Anthony Schatz was an Instagram profile with nice cars he would send them all to Snapchat. An attractive man, like it it was catfish, mm-hmm. and it was a profile he used to speak with underage girls who would fantasize about being with pretty much a famous dude with lots of followers, almost model type with money. Mm-hmm. And come to find out he was a teenage model. Um, 
He's now a police officer in Alaska and is absolutely horrified that this has happened. And I'm sure he'll be part of the trial. Yeah, and um, that is usually how catfish profiles work. People aren't as creative as they give themselves credit for, and it's usually based off of a real person, real photos, and who easier to use than a model who's always posting photos of themselves anyways. I just wanted, in, in case, you know, the odd person may not have heard of these murders. Right. Maybe it's out there. Who knows? That's what Anthony Shaw says. Let's go. Okay. And so the girl that had been chatting with Anthony Schatz and then uh, the next day saw the man in the ski mask peering in her bedroom window, um, I refer to her as ski mask girl. So I'm not saying that she's wearing the ski mask, but this is the incident and it's just how my brain works. So around the same time, police had investigated all aspects especially the social media activity and contacts of Libby and Abby. Anthony Schatz was one of the last online chats that Libby had before they were murdered. So there's a connection that police identified, and they were able to use Ski Mask Girl's phone to track the IP address and provider information, which led them to the house that Kagan shared with his dad, Tony. In the meantime, on February 21st, Kagan and his dad, Tony, go on a planned trip to Las Vegas. On February 24th, they returned from Vegas late that night. And on February 25th, the FBI, ISP, and the Peru Police Department conducted a raid and served a search warrant on the house where Kagan lived with his dad. During that search, police interviewed Kagan and seized a number of electronic devices. This is where the magnitude of Kagan's crimes come to light that we will dive into on another chapter. Kagan wasn't actually arrested for these CSAM charges, which is child sexual abuse materials. Once the ISP released the Anthony Schatz information on that YouTube release, Kagan was now known to the public. People started digging into his life and the life of any associates. And honestly, other than the fact that Kagan is a compulsive liar, nothing was revealed that directly connected him to Libby or Abby outside of the online chats. However, strange coincidences started stacking up. In August 2021, it was reported that Kagan was taken from his Miami County jail cell by ISP. Speculation is that he led police to the Wabash River, where a significant search started almost immediately after. This search lasted almost six weeks. It was a huge undertaking. So what were they looking for? Maybe another phone or a knife? We still don't know. I mean, I'm <clears> stuck <throat> on that piece of speculation yeah. that Kagan was taken and it is confirmed that he was taken to an air force base, a military base, I'm sorry for questioning. Mm -hmm. And then basically right after that, this search started, it lasted six weeks, the resources and money that it took the state to pay for that search effort. Then the Indiana state police superintendent, Doug Carter and his helicopter flew over, landed, had a meeting, whatever. And then within a couple of hours of that helicopter leaving, the search was suddenly wrapped up. Kagan also supposedly told police that he waited in the Jeep while someone else committed the murder of Abby and Libby. Why would anyone lie about that? Even a compulsive liar, he's already facing huge prison time for his own charges. Why is he trying to add to it? I would like to add that that, again, is secondhand information. So we're saying Keegan also supposedly told police that he waited in the Jeep. But the fact of the matter is, is that murder sheet said that Kagan said that and mm -hmm. that is to be taken with a grain of salt, especially since somebody got arrested shortly after and it was not the charges for Kagan Klein. Here's another piece that stacks like 
to me that the ending of that search in the river was only a few short weeks away from the arrest that they made. So, I mean, you're telling me there's no connection, no correlation there? Maybe not, but it's just another stacking coincidence that's driving me nuts. And then with those stacking coincidences and putting it that way for that, though, you know, it's coming down to are the police sending those messages? Because if we're saying no, then why aren't we just taking them at their word when they say that the neighbor did the blah, 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 and then that's why they searched Rick Allen's house? So, you know... When people believe certain speculations and their their version of events is what they want to believe, we often start making rules, but only for specific areas of the story. So it's like, do we believe the police now, but we don't believe them then? Like, all I know is what we know for a fact and everything else. It's like, I don't even know anymore. They're, I don't even want to say that Kagan Klein is involved because it's like, until they tell me that he is, he's just a piece of shit with a fucking list of things that we should be focusing on because we know for a fact that he is horrible. Has he had a trial yet, though? No, it was actually put off again. And coincidentally so we- enough, um, so was Rick Allen's. And people are, yeah. well, it's not connected. But there there could very well be, maybe. Do we need to say alleged to all this stuff that we're talking about, Kagan, then? Because he's not convicted, even though they said at the very beginning, they're innocent (laughs) unless proven guilty in a court of law. Now, a lot of the things that we talk about, you know, there are facts within it. Right. So, like, it's not all alleged. And I will say that confidently. He was talking to underage girls and there are videos of him confirming it. So he might not be guilty in a court of law yet, but he is. He did that. He's waiting for a plea agreement. I'm sure of it, but uh, Doug Carter said no deal. No deals for that guy. So I give him a deal. If he can outline and tell you everything about this and give that the families that closure, and because the deal is not going to be fucking possible. If it's got anything parole. to do with Delphi, I think yeah. Doug Carter was yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. to his CSAM charges. Like, oh. no deal for this guy. Yeah, fuck no. Opened the largest um, child porn ring in the history of the state of Indiana. <clears throat> Anyways, I'm just not convinced that Kagan and Tony aren't involved in some way. My, and Tony, Tony has no charges. Tony has nothing. nothing. He's just a straight He's up. He's fully alleged and just speculation rumor. He's just a dickhead. <laughs> um, so my brain just can't accept the level of bad luck these girls had to be catfished by Kagan Klein. And Libby was 110% into Anthony shots. And then coincidentally be abducted and murdered in the same day she was talking to Anthony shots but by someone not connected at all. That's just unbelievable to me. And we, like, I mean, we were both fully convinced that it was Kagan Klein who murdered them. We, like, before Rick Allen's name was out there, we thought it was Kagan. Mm -hmm. That being said, when we were thinking that it was Kagan, we were thinking that big child (laughs) did not do this by himself. And that's why we also thought Tony. We thought, I think, the cousin for a bit. Mm-hmm. I definitely never thought that Tony or Kagan were bridge guy. I did not make that connection. People were saying that like, his yeah. family was even saying, oh, he sounds like the bridge guy voice. But I didn't I didn't hear it. I, think I thought Kagan's he sounded chunkier. more than Kagan. I think Tony sounded like bridge guy. No, Tony did. But here's the thing. All of his family said, no, his voice is actually way higher pitched yeah. than what you guys are realizing. But then that 
that audio clip of him like there was like some kind of radio there was some it almost sounded he was like on a, a truck phone. radio he was on was a, it a phone yeah it was his voicemail and then somebody was and it sounded just like it now that yeah. being said sure it can be distorted a bit it can mm-hmm. sound a little deeper and people were not considering what it would take to like what it would do to your voice traveling that quickly across the bridge maybe he was out of shape maybe i know For when sure. i'm breathless and stuff my voice will go up a little bit you know mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like my regular everyday voice so there maybe were other just things drank a glass of milk and uh, don't get me throat. wrong <laughs> i now know i am certain that neither kegan or tony are bridge guy i'm mm-hmm. certain of that mm-hmm. uh, i'm just not certain that they weren't a part of it somewhere somehow. in our brains we are certain of it it has been confirmed, but I am also certain of it because I think that um, I think I think RA is. I feel like it's guy. been confirmed to the degree that we can say that Rick Allen is bridge guy. No, no, <laughs> I think that a hundred percent. I that I believe in my heart of hearts that it's Rick Allen. I think that I I feel like I know that, but technically. We do not know. He's innocent until sure. proven guilty. But my God, does it ever look like him, sound like him, everything mm-hmm. like him. Almost like it is him. <laughs> Could be. Let's talk about Rick Allen then. So on October 26, 2022, social media and the true crime world was all abuzz after some of the family members of Libby posted on their social media pages that today is finally the day. They were not able to give any more information, but it was clear to everyone who followed the case that something huge was happening behind the scenes. On October 28th, the ISP confirmed that they had taken 50-year-old Richard Matthew Allen of Delphi into custody and scheduled a news conference, coincidentally, on Libby's favorite day of the year, Halloween. Crazy. Hmm. On October 31st, the ISP held a news conference to announce an arrest in the case. Let's listen to a minute or so of that announcement. Today is not a day to celebrate. But the arrest of Richard M. Allen of Delphi on two counts of murder is sure a major step in leading to the conclusion of this long-term and complex investigation. First, I'd like to speak directly to Anna, Mike, Becky, Kelsey, your extended families, along with the entire Delphi community that certainly has grown and now includes our nation and even many countries around the world. I am proud to report to you that today Actually, last Friday was the day, and an arrest has been made. Rick Allen had not been previously mentioned as a suspect possibly connected to the girls' deaths. Um, He is known to go by Rick or Ricky. I like to call him Dick. Rick has lived in Delphi for at least 16 years, and his home is less than two miles from the Moan and High Bridge. Records show the suspect previously lived in Greenwood and in Mexico, Indiana, and has a connection to Peru, possibly a couple of blocks away from Tony and Kagan Klein's house. 
though this was many years prior and absolutely no official connection has been made. He has no criminal history aside from a couple of traffic violations. Rick Allen is a licensed pharmacy technician. He works full-time at the CVS Pharmacy right there in Delphi. Horribly, the CVS is very close, actually kitty corner, to the Dairy Queen restaurant where Kelsey worked before and after the murder of her sister and her best friend. So he received his Indiana license in 2018, and it's still active. Libby's aunt, and confirmed by Becky, Libby's grandma, said that Rick even at one point developed photos at the pharmacy for Libby's memorial service after the killings. Her family said Rick would not charge them for the photos. This is terrible to realize that this pharmacy is the only one in Delphi. How many times did these families come into contact with this guy, who was truly hiding in plain sight the entire time? Rick has pleaded not guilty to the charges and is said to be refusing to cooperate with the investigation. So the conservation officer, they had a kind of a booth set up at this grocery store for anyone to come in and give tips. Mm -hmm. And the conservation officer happened to be there the day that Rick came by to give his information. And that's it though. So like, do we know if they looked into Rick Allen after that anymore, even though he said he was there that day? No. And I mean, I'll talk about it very, very shortly here, but the tip was lost. Um, I think they called it a clerical error, but we'll, we'll get there really soon here. Stupid. Um, on November 29th, authorities released a redacted probable cause affidavit outlining the evidence behind Rick's arrest, revealing that he was linked to a bullet that was found near one of the bodies at the murder scene, and he's believed to be the bridge guy that was uh, seen in the video that Abby, or sorry, that Libby recorded. The affidavit also reveals that Rick was interviewed by a conservation officer in 2017 shortly after the murders, confirming he has been on their radar since day one. But was he really? Um, the real story is that Rick spoke to a conservation officer outside of a local grocery store to tell him that he was at the trails that day. He mentioned what he was wearing, which he described as his blue Carhartt jacket, jeans, and a ball cap. Uh, the conservation officer took Rick's statement and handed it in to investigators. This tip seems to have gotten lost because no one ever followed up. We do not know how Rick came on to investigators' radar again in mid-October of last year, but the first search, according to neighbors, was conducted at Rick's house on October 15th, just a couple of weeks after that big search of the Wabash River ended. Another bit of speculation is that the conservation officer's tip was found recently while investigators were going back over the 70,000-plus tips in the case, just trying to find that missing piece. I just want to like briefly touch on the fact that like I get that there was a lot of tips in the case. I fully get that they had their work cut out for them. But not all of the tips were of people that were there that day. Mm -hmm. And it's like how do you not go back to making sure that you have everybody that was there and like thorough statements of everybody that was there. I I just ugh. that is not talked about enough as a major fuck up mm -hmm. like what a like the case is six years frozen it's freezing cold by now all because y'all lost a tip but not just a normal tip not your regular somebody calls and blah 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 somebody who said i was there mm -hmm. that's gross so let's talk about it a lot of people wonder why or how the conservation officer must not have followed up on the tip. 
that he submitted or Rick's statement after so many times seeing the story, images, audio, video? Why didn't this conservation officer follow up when no arrest was made and no mention of Rick's uh, was made as a person of interest? My bit of speculation, um, after looking into this conservation officer, um, whose name has never been released, we don't know who he was or is, um, but at the end of February of 2017, a conservation officer was off-duty ice fishing with his elderly father when his father suffered a heart attack and fell through the ice. The officer ended up passing away while trying to save his dad. Again, speculation, but that is about the only way we can accept the fact that this investigation went on for six years, putting the families through a living hell, when the man arrested had basically tipped himself in shortly after the murders. And that being said, like, it's not even that I'm saying that guy is off his rocker. People have bad days. Mm-hmm. As a, an, an entire force, mm-hmm. how do you sit there for so long feeling cold on the case and not go back through something as simple as people that's, that were there? That's why they were going back through because they, you it know, took too long. Tips were slowing down. So that it did. But this is how they found it. And they have officially said it was lost uh, due to a clerical error. But I've, totally findable, obviously. But, yeah, but you can also you can also speculate and wonder why. So there's a press conference in 2017. There's a few. There's one on the anniversary in 2018, 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. So if that conservation officer wasn't passed away, don't you think he would have questioned them? Went back and said, "Did you ever talk about? Did you ever talk to that guy?" Oh, yeah, you know, I know. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? So it makes sense to me that pieces of paper, things do get lost in the shuffle. But what was um, found to bring it it's back? It's not up? exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's my the only one point. lady at the press conference in October was singled out and thanked for her tenacity mm-hmm. and her attention to detail. So I think it was. I don't know what her role is, but she, I think that lady is the one that found this tip, probably filed somewhere where it wasn't supposed to be filed. And I suspect they probably had a file for people that were cleared or, or tips that were looked into and cleared, and maybe it was accidentally filed in there. And that's how it was missed Again, for so many years. That's but then crazy. you think that this conservation officer, after hearing year after year, them looking for the same information that he took from a man shortly after the murders, he would have called in and said, did you, did you ever end up talking to that guy? Have you cleared him yet? Just to get an answer, some closure makes sense to me that maybe he did actually pass away a couple of, couple of weeks after the murders, um, accidentally. And just what a horrible set of circumstances. Which just brings us back to like making sure you're going over your work and mm, going through to things. Detail, yeah. Attention to detail, yeah. And some of the people that worked there at that time probably don't work there anymore. And they probably have fresh eyes on things. You know, we, we don't know. Um, so also in the affidavit, police say they found an unspent bullet between the girls' bodies. The bullet ended up being matched to a gun owned by Rick Allen. When questioned, Rick stated that he has owned the gun for years and has never and would never loan it to anyone. Eyewitnesses also saw a person who resembled Rick's description of the clothes he was wearing that day while on the trails, which also matches those of the Bridge Guy video. The witness also said that they could not be sure what color his eyes were, but could tell that they were not blue. 
Now, some pictures of Rick Allen sure look like he might have blue eyes, but who knows? I do know that I can say with a million percent certainty that I would not be able to see eye color when driving past someone. I also have a hard time believing I'd be able to tell mud from blood from wet on a dark blue coat and blue jeans. Maybe, but I doubt it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a little blind for sure, but I can't imagine a world where when you're driving past somebody, you could tell their eye color. But I would say, though, through experience, um, there was once this guy on the side of the road who had just gone into a dirt biking accident and we stopped for him and he was in a dark blue jacket and jeans and he had mud and blood all over him and he was pretty injured. But you could definitely tell the difference. Like if he had a substantial amount of blood on him, you could for sure tell the difference and see that that man was Mm. sus. Really? Yeah, but not the eye color. That seems wild to me. (laughs) Okay, so I'll admit you could probably see mud on a blue coat, especially if he had been walking for a while and it started to dry. But I still, when something is wet, like a dark blue coat, when it gets wet, it's darker. It's much darker. It probably almost appears black. And blood... I've never been covered in blood, so I don't know for sure, but I just, I, and I don't, there's no information saying that she actually slowed down when she saw this person. So I don't know. I would like to say I wasn't the person driving when we drove by the guy covered in mud and blood, and I don't think I would have stopped. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'd you... call for help, but I would not have stopped my own vehicle. Right. And I agree with, like, the jacket, but, you know, maybe he had that blood on jeans, and that's more so where you could probably see it if she's seen it on him and his skin. And I'd say that you can really tell when, like, jeans are wet. So perhaps she wasn't just looking at the jacket, but the whole picture. Definitely the whole picture because she said it looked like he had just gotten into a fight. Exactly. There's probably blood on his hands. Who knows? Security video has also identified a car matching that of what Rick Allen was driving the day that he was seen in the area and was the car that was parked at the abandoned CPS building that police had been looking for, which backing up was also part of the statement Rick had given to the conservation officer back in 2017. If you remember back in the Ron Logan search warrant affidavit, the FBI said that the scene was bloody and that the killer would likely have gotten a fair amount of blood on him. There were also items of clothing missing from the scene. One would think that if investigators found anything like that during the searches of Rick Allen's house, yard, and car, it would have been included in the probable cause affidavit, but there were no mention of anything found. The trial is set for March of 2023, but it's pretty ambitious to get all of the discovery and preparations made by then. Um, This is not even a month away, so we are in February now, and the change of venue hearing was just held not too long ago, which that request was denied by Judge Gall. She decided to keep the trial in Carroll County, but will draw the jury pool from Allen County. A hearing that was set for February 17th has also been continued. The date is not known as of now. Also this morning, a motion to intervene was filed by numerous media outlets. What does that mean? I've asked my Indiana lawyer friend for um, an explanation what exactly that means in the state of Indiana, um, but I haven't heard back from him yet. But Google just says basically it's almost like a, a request for information. Yeah, they, they're requesting their right 
to the information they're saying you guys shouldn't be able to lock this one down like before they have to do that before they can officially appeal it mm. which if they're doing that they have every intention of doing so so there's a strict gag order in place now so getting new or confirmed information is really next to impossible there's really so much information that i went back and forth and took out of this story because there's been so much speculation over the years. So personally, I do believe that they've found Bridge Guy. There's little question that Rick is the guy on the bridge who kidnapped the girls. His voice told them to go down the hill. I have no doubt. This is why I believe that he has been charged with two counts of felony murder. So two counts of murder in Indiana is um, that you basically intentionally murdered people. Felony murder can be like people died as a result of during committing a different felony, like kidnapping, burglary, something like that. So he's been charged with two counts of this felony murder. I'm just not convinced that he's the only person involved or that this five foot four creepy little man was able to pull this off. A double murder of local girls in the small town in broad daylight and continue to work at the only pharmacy in town. I just don't know. And I can't wait for the trial to start. My side of it is a five foot four creepy little man quickly goes to six foot tall when he has a gun. I'm not saying the girls could have done anything differently. I am not That's saying not what I that. Said either. I'm saying that he looks like a creepy little Anybody man. Anybody can pull it off with a gun is my point. Anybody can pull it anything off with a gun but the i mean Fear. the horrible the speculation and rumors about the crime scene and what happened to the girls I but just, that is speculation it and is so but all this assault. information for the last six years because i've been doing you gotta filter it you gotta six years of this it. is in my head so i've heard just about everything that you can think of i've heard it and it's hard to get rid of those little details in your head and then Put all of that brutality on this little freaking creep. Yeah. Filter that stuff out, though. You really have to. I just, I don't think he acted alone. And I just, I cannot get past the coincidences with Tony and Kagan. I just, I can't. There's too many. You look at somebody like Brian Kohlberger. People are not that unlucky to be catfished and talking to their catfish the same day they're murdered by somebody completely not connected to them. How unlucky. There seems to be quite a bit of pieces of shit in the area. And it's even less like that is crazy to me. How there could be so many suspects that fit. We don't have those. Like if that happened here, it it wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, John Smith down the street was arrested for blah, blah, blah. We don't have that here. We have like druggies. We have that stuff, but we don't have people that would fit like, oh yeah, he freaking abducted a little girl the other day and just brutalized her. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have that here. But ugh, I hate that. Ugh. But also in the States they have like, and I'm not saying Rick Allen would have been on this or even Kagan Klein, whatever, but they have the sex offender registry, which is absolutely terrifying to look at. Yeah, Like if you even look at a case that we'll be doing in the near future, Summer Wells, they had no idea that, like, they're, and they didn't have, like, close neighbors, but there are so many registered sex offenders in that area. Mm -hmm. Like, any, you look at We have something like that, right? 
Yeah, but you have to, I don't know how to even access it. Yeah. So you have to, any case out there, you can just pick a case of a missing or murdered child and do a sex offender search in their area. And it is disgusting. But the different levels of things that this list doesn't really differentiate, I don't think. If you're charged with an indecent act or sexual assault, you know, it's the same thing that lands you on that registry. So not that that has anything to do with Delphi at this point in time. I'm just saying that these creeps are everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. He's just, he is super duper creepy. I think that a lot, and I know the information that you're talking about that it's like just actually physically like how could he pull off some of that fertilization but it's truly just like who knows what's true and what's not so Mm -hmm. maybe it was truly more of a cowardly scene Mm -hmm. than we even know and in the press conference on halloween the prosecutor said that they're still investigating they're still actively investigating this uh this case so um and he's used he's used the language that says uh, we do not believe that rick is the only players in this mm-hmm. situation so yeah. i think that law enforcement thinks that there could very well be other actors in this uh situation so do you purposely use that word actors yeah that's what he called them actors Uh, yeah they did so playing off of the keg and klein thing if that ends up being any form of true that he had any involvement in it there are speculations that you know maybe they were making some kind of a movie for the the dark web web. um and you i mean if you want to get into it just really quickly on like because i did it at idaho i might as well tell you my theory yeah um i my theory is complete speculation, but what makes the most sense in my head is that the girls were catfished to get out there. They were not expecting to see this creepy old guy on the bridge, obviously. He told them to go down the hill. I think that they took off running and ended up going across the creek. I think that um, I, apparently now it's Rick or whatever let Kagan or Tony or the cousin know that uh, things were going sideways and he had them at gunpoint. Like, what do you want me to do with these girls? They're not coming easily. Um, And I think that they went down there. I don't know who did, if it was cousin and Tony, just Tony, whatever. But I, that's what happened. And I think that that got way out of control and went a completely different way than they were hoping. I think that the entire thing was planned for a video or something for the dark web i i believe that they had a buyer in mind in las vegas um i think that that's how ski girl ski mask girl connects into it i think that the man peering into her bedroom window was either tony or cousin i think that they were trying to fulfill the order that they were leaving the next day to sell in person for cash in Vegas. in Vegas. I think that it all ties in together. I, I truly do. I I believe the stories that Kagan had told the police that he had they had thrown the weapon or the phone or something connected off the bridge of the Wabash River. I do believe that that's what sparked that entire search. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they found everything that they were looking for in that search, but I do think that they found something that connected 
Rick Allen. And then I also believe that by that connection, somebody in the tip office or whoever, that woman, remembered seeing Rick Allen's name, maybe as somebody who was cleared. Oh my God, I need to go back and look at that tip again. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the most sense to me. I know it's not, uh, I know it's not a hundred percent. I mean, it's your theory and it's kind of, it's just the way that your brain works that you like the way that you see it is you want to make the whole scene and that's what you think. And you're thinking that makes sense. And throwing something like an old school SD card out the window into a river, they would never find that thing. No, totally. And I mean, the way that my brain works is just like way less detail. Um, A lot of like what ifs is how I view things. I think that like one other person's plausible for maybe being there while Rick Allen was doing that stuff. Allegedly. I don't think more than that. Cause I think it gets really complicated when you have more people on, on, on the scene. scene. Yes. But yeah. I, I believe, I think that, I think that Kagan was, I think that that search for the marathon gas station that morning is directly connected. I believe that Kagan was there waiting in which the Jeep. Which would be the first. one other person, which is totally possible. Um, I'm a saying like my theory would be that any more people who even know about it, not even just being on the scene, any more than two people knowing about it, you get people turning on each other, making deals, all of that good stuff. And because we're not seeing more of that, I find it really hard to believe that more than one or two people know exactly what happened. You see it all the time. It's because to, in my mind, it's because Kagan has now made himself known to be a pathological liar. So no information that police are getting from Kagan can be taken at face value. And that's just they need one something person. concrete to back up anything Tony. that this man says. Yeah. Talk about Tony, talk about the cousin. Like if they're not ratting anybody out, you do not see that many pieces of shit backing each other up that hard for this long you Mm -hmm. just don't see it and so that's why i think that there's no fucking way that there's that many more people and i think that if rick allen's only part was kidnapping then i don't think he would be hesitating as much to just tell the truth and make that deal I don't see see that every day too, right? The person who drives the car, the person who does this, they make the deal to say, but I'm not the one who delivered the final blow when we do the scream murders, you know? Yeah. Again, I, the whole argument that there's two killers there that one of the killers makes is I didn't stab her in a way that which would actually kill her. Mm -hmm. You know, there could be 30 blows, only nine of which are that to be, to be believed as fatal. Yeah. And he's saying he didn't deliver one of those. <clears throat> There's so just, you there has to be that, more deal. Yeah, you would think that at the end of the day, Rick Allen would say, yes, I kidnapped them, but I did not have a clue what the plan was. I didn't leave the bridge. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, maybe that's something that'll come out. Um, but I will say that and I'm not the only person that feels this way and I'm not in law enforcement or anything like that, but the people whose opinions that I do take seriously are law enforcement and our attorneys. They know this stuff and they know yeah. what they're looking at. And that probable cause affidavit in the Rick Allen case is not strong. No, very circumstantial. And everybody thinks that that bullet 
could have dropped out of anywhere at any yeah. time. Libby could have found that bullet on the trail and picked it up to show Try her to granddad. Like I hope we're also looking at like Rick Allen's friends, Rick Allen's circle of people, everybody. Sure they have to be. And, and like, if there's more than one person, I truly believe that Rick Allen will eventually give them up. Yes. And he might have already to his own lawyers, right? Like, you, there's, Oh, yeah, true. Because yeah. that one lawyer said that, um, you know, the fact that the bail hearing, um, the defense asked for an extension on the bail hearing to be continued mm -hmm. um, was shocking because any defendant, any suspect wants to bail. get out on bail. Mm -hmm. So it made him think that maybe the lawyers don't like the evidence that like the defense lawyers are now, you know, wondering if they actually do have a strong case because based on the probable cause affidavit, they don't. Um, another lawyer actually defense diaries, um, like my favorite podcast, but Bob Mata, he said that, that these people that are writing up probable cause affidavits will put the best information that they have in the probable cause affidavit. Yeah. Maybe not everything, but the best of it. Yeah. So are we considering that that bullet and those eyewitnesses is the best that they got after all of that blood and all of this time? That's the best they got? I mean, I have to hope that they, they have more. Did something. they? Uh, I can't remember if it's this case, but did they end up finding like a burn site? On yeah. Alan's property? Not on Alan's site, but they found fire pit at Tony Klein's Tony house. Tony Klein's cousin. And to no, Tony, Klein's, Tony Klein's parents. Kagan's Kagan's grandparents. grandparents. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and they searched that and they didn't find anything in there either. But again, by the time they were searching it, it was... Way too late. It was over five years. Yeah. You know, like, what this do you got to find? This could have been a solved case if 100%. things hadn't gone south. And if we think about the families, what they've gone through for the last six years of yeah. trying to find this person and trying to be hopeful that the case is being solved, Becky Patty, Libby's grandma, breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. If you look at pre the press conferences and the media releases from 2017, she is determined and she is angry and she is going to find who did this to Libby and now looking at her, and I know that she's survived cancer, but you can see that her heart is broken. And even the words that she decides to use are, I mean, I, I get choked up now anytime that I listen to her. Mm -hmm. um, the last time that she spoke, actually publicly, she said, it's just a matter of now, like, finding our purpose. Like, okay, we found the guy. Like, now what do I do? Now what do I do? This has been their life for how long? And now it's just not anymore. Now they, they have yeah. a new chapter to do. And it's it's a harder one, especially because, again, there's another gag order. Yeah. You know, and let's talk a little bit about um, Rick Allen and his wife, maybe. I, I was guilty of, you know, going to her Facebook profile and looking at all the photos. Everybody did. Her daughter, that photo, like. It's all creepy, but it's creepy. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they knew anything. That just means they lived in Delphi and they were heartbroken and looking for the girls. But 
Um, so Kathy Allen actually told the police that, yeah, Rick still owns that same Carhartt coat, that blue Carhartt coat. It's still at the house. So if if that's the guy, then they will find DNA on it. But I started thinking, like, what if after the murders, he went out and bought an identical jacket and just washed it a few times and got rid of that bloody jacket, burnt it, whatever, right? So there's no guarantees anywhere. No. So I just, I hope that they have more information, more evidence than what they put in that PCA because it is, it is weak. Yeah. Weak. You can poke holes through every bit of it. I agree. It's worrisome. Like when I read it, that's the only thing where I'm like, dang, Mm -hmm. that's really all we got. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's not that far-fetched being this far away from the date of the murders. It's not that crazy that that's all they have. It was such a cold case. If they had more they would have found somebody earlier. Mm -hmm. So the tip line is still open for this case. So if anybody has any information about Rick Allen, his associates, or any information you think could help the ongoing investigation, please email the tip line at abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f dot com. Along with uh, the tip line, Everybody should go and visit um, the Abby and Libby Memorial Park website. It's abbyandlibbymemorialpark.org. This site is amazing. So they built a memorial park where they can have um, softball and baseball fields, an amphitheater, picnic shelters, um, a multi-purpose building, a concession stand. There's uh, public restrooms. Um, there's age-appropriate playgrounds and a walking trail around the perimeter of all the park facilities. So they have raised enough money to build this because Abby and Libby were both uh, very into softball and volleyball. So they were able to do this. So you can go onto this website, you can donate money, or you can uh, purchase T-shirts or other uh, items to go towards the upkeep of the Abbey and Libby Memorial Park. Um, I know the concession stand takes a lot of money even just to keep it running. Um, This is all not-for-profit, so it's a good cause. I have donated. I have purchased, um, you know, mugs and notebooks and T-shirts over the years. So anything you can do to help, I'm sure, will still to this day be very, very appreciated. So, and it's a beautiful site. You can go on there and you can see pictures and read a little bit about the girls. It's just, uh, it's touching and, and, uh, yeah, go visit the website and donate if you can. And even if you can't, um, you can leave a, a friendly message for the families. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have a, hopefully we'll have a resolution for them soon so that they can find some kind of peace. If anything new happens in this case, we'll be sure to update it here on True Crime Story. Thank you for listening, so let's stick a bookmark in this case for now. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye! Bye.